Well, hey, aren't you glad you're here this morning? Have you been enjoying it? I hope so. Well, thanks. Thanks for being at Grace. We're, we're glad every person's here. We're going to start a new series. Before we get to that, it's, uh, it's that time of year. Summer's coming, right? Graduation season. I think Clyde's uh, graduating today. And um, along with that comes our summer lunch program. Again, if you're in, interested in helping us out, that's lunchtimes, Monday through Friday, as we uh, partner with uh, Fremont City Schools to go into some neighborhoods in our community and, and uh, help people with that. Uh, we'd love for, to have you. There's a, a meeting right after this service, 1115 in the quad, 4143, which is the closest to the coffee. I mean, you can't miss it right over there. So that, that's, that's happening. And then there's a lot of other things happening. Today, uh, one of our staff members is actually getting married. We had Sammy Spriggs, now Sammy Vance, got married uh, just a short time ago, but uh, today Luke Weishart is getting married. So you might, uh, and that's happening out of town over at uh, White House, Ohio, I believe, in, where, th- where that's going on. And then next weekend, uh, a member of Grace, Jake Wookie, is in his last trial to figure out if he'll be representing America in the Olympics uh, this summer in Rio. So that's a, a huge request there. I don't know if you know much about Jake. He's my son-in-law, but four years ago, he won a silver medal at the Olympics in London, and now it's his fi- the Gator Cup down in Florida this next weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday kind of a deal, is, is the final determination on whether he'll be one of the three ar- archers representing the USA this year. And I got to tell you, all of his competition, they're down in San Diego uh, shooting full-time. Great weather all the time. They live at the training center. They shoot every day. Jake's up here holding down a job living in northwest Ohio, and so he didn't always get the shooting time that he wants, but if you think about it, pray for him, and, and now that I mention it, you should pray for Luke too, because he's getting married today. So, uh, but anyway, so just a couple, of, a couple of things to keep in mind. We are starting a new series today, and, uh, but before, again, before we do that, wasn't Sunday last week just a, a great Sunday? Did you enjoy that? I mean, it was really cool, the, the baptisms that we saw. We had originally had, I think, third, we had a lot of people that said they needed to get baptized and some wanted to wait. Uh, we had 13, I think, signed up, but uh, it ended up that uh, 39 people uh, here got baptized. Actually, three got baptized in Paulding. And it was just a, a great, great day. Some of the people that responded, we talked to them and, and asked them to hold off till we could talk to them a little more detail. But uh, it was just a great Sunday. I actually have a couple of stories from last Sunday. You want to hear them? Yeah. Okay, great, great. Uh, here's, here's one from Jamie. I have to share this with you. Two weeks ago, I was uh, contacted about because I had marked that I was interested in being baptized on the information card at Grace, and I decided that now was not a good time. And for the past two weeks, I've been so upset with myself. I was making a selfish decision, and today at church, before service started, that that was last Sunday, she wrote this on Sunday, today at church, before service started, I remember thinking to myself that I'd be sad and upset you know, for, for doing, making that decision not to be baptized, and then I'd be watching others make the decision to put God first. And when Pastor Kevin started talking, I kept thinking that I wish I could just walk up there with the other people getting baptized. And when he made the offer for me to join the others, I knew God heard my heart and opened this opportunity up for me. 
I was able to make the choice to put God first before my selfish reasons uh, for making my initial decision. And I walked back to join the others. Then God blessed me even more. The next thing that happened was beyond anything I could have ever hoped for. My 19-year-old daughter walked through the door. And she made the decision to get baptized too. I can't stop crying tears of joy. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Praise God for his unfailing love. Cool story, huh? Hey, one more. This is from Sarah. Good morning, Pastor Kevin. I wanted to say thank you for your leadership this past Sunday. It's been a year. I've been battling my fear of being baptized in front of so many people. Through your preaching and the work of the Holy Spirit, I was led to feel the most convicted since being saved. I left the second service uh, shaking, full of guilt, and when I reached my vehicle, tears streamed from my eyes. I had denied the Holy Spirit. My own selfish pride kept me from proclaiming the love I have for my Savior, Jesus Christ. I drove home repenting and, explain, and, and explaining to my children why mommy was sad. I had a surprise birthday party to go to and it suddenly got canceled and it left me thinking, God's given me another chance. I texted Jess Kaiser explaining how convicted and upset I was and told her, I'm driving back to the third service. Do you think I'll make it? I left at 1223 and there was Jess holding the door open for me. I changed quickly and the staff was absolutely amazing. God had taken my hand and eased my fears as my church family and leaders of grace witnessed me proclaiming Jesus Christ is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is living in me and God is my Father. Thank you for your constant love uh, of your church that God's led you together in his name. Cool stuff, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we're really excited about what's happening. Actually, we'd kind of like to recap it. As we share those stories, everybody has a story as we watch kind of a recap of what happened last Sunday right now. Because we're one church family meeting in three services here, a service in Paulding, we just kind of wanted you to see uh, all that. And uh, again, just as we celebrate what God's done. Well, we're starting this series. And uh, as we start this, you need to understand there is the Bible, even though there's 66 books is really one epic story that flows from beginning to end. And it's a story about how God created us. And he created us in his image with the freedom to love him back. But we misused our freedom. And, and then the, the whole story then is God's pursuit of winning us back to be reconciled back to him. And so if somebody ever asks you what the Bible's all about, you know, it, it could just be it's one epic story of God creating us, us turning away from him, and, and it's the story of God winning us back, making a way for us to be reconnected to him. So all through history, God draws a line from Genesis to Revelation, and I call it a bloodline. Because that's what God uses to bring us back to himself. We're going to do this series over five weeks. And this is just the introduction today. It's uh, our beginning, the beginning of the story. And then next we're talking about how God chooses a man and a people. And then how God rescues his people. 
And then how God instructs his people. And finally, how God saves his people. So we're going to follow this bloodline through history, which is all about how God deals with us and pursues us to reconcile us back to him. So today, as we talk about our story begins, I am basically just want to answer three simple questions. Why did God create us with freedom or a capacity to have a relationship with him? Given what happened, why, why did God do that? Two, what happened to mess that up? And three, how did God fix it? So those are three questions. So first, why did God create us with a capacity for a, a free relationship with him? You got to remember, when God created, it wasn't like hard labor. He wasn't breaking a sweat. He spoke things into existence. And I believe when he did that, he did it with a smile on his face. That he, he did it with joy. And, and where I'm getting that is one of the places, uh, there's another place in the Bible where God is kind of dressing down a guy named Job. And as he does that, he kind of says, where were you? You know, when I created the foundations of the world. And then he says something kind of interesting. And the angels shouted for joy. See, what he's saying there is there was joy during creation. And uh, that's exciting to think about. And I think there was laughter ringing through heaven. It was a joyous time as he, he's creating. And, and, and I kind of debated on this. And I, I really, I just want to go back and I want to remind us of what scripture says about creation by reading uh, Genesis chapter 1. So let's, let's start right there. So grab a Bible, follow along. Uh, easy to find. It's the first sentence of the first book in the Bible. So here we are, Genesis chapter 1, and hang with me. Are, are you ready? All right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the f- surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let, let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. And then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. And the Lord brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind and trees bearing with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and it was so 
And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seeds and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God said to man, I'm sorry, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth. And every tree which has fruit yielding seed. And it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So we learn a lot about God. We learn about his power. We learn about his goodness. Uh, we learn that he speaks things into existence. But the other thing that we learn about God when he creates man is he says, let us create man in our image. And when he's saying that, he's not talking about him and the angels. He's talking about his image, that he exists in plurality. Later in scripture, we realize he exists in Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and that's how we know, like sometimes... People spout things, maybe not as much now as they used to, saying, hey, people on earth, different religions, they're really worshiping the same God in different ways. That's not true. For example, Allah does not exist eternally in three person. Allah is not a true God. There's one true God who exists eternally in plurality, who created, who created the heavens and the earth. And that's the God that we serve. And so... We just need to, to keep that in mind. When God said, let us make man in our image, we need to also remember that God doesn't need us to be complete or fulfilled. It's not like God was missing something, so he needed us somehow to complete him. So the question is, why? Why would God create people who would ultimately rebel against him. Why would he do it? 
Why wouldn't he create people who couldn't rebel? Why wouldn't he create people who would follow him? And the answer to that is because he created us to love him back. His nature is love. And so he created beings that were capable of knowing him and loving him back. And this can't be forced or it's not love. You cannot force love. You cannot demand love. It, love has to be voluntary. But if it's voluntary, then there has to be the possibility of doing the other thing. And that's exactly why we are created for God's pleasure. We're created for his joy. And he creates us with the ability of having the joy of knowing him back. And that's exactly what what we're all about, what we want to do. And we have this description in Genesis of Adam and and Eve walking with God, doing life with God, fellowshipping with God, and everything's perfect, and everything's good. And that brings us to the next question. Well, what messed that up? What broke that fellowship? Well, Scripture's telling us that before God created the physical universe, he actually created a spiritual universe. He created heavenly beings, spiritual beings called angels, and one of those angels was an archangel named Lucifer who was filled with pride and chose to rebel against God. And from the Old Testament, we, we understand that he took a third of the angels with him in his rebellion and they were cast from heaven. And then Lucifer or Satan sees God's creation and he sees the crowning creation, Adam and Eve, man, mankind. And so then Satan then wants to disrupt that and keep people from following God. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3. Lucifer, a spiritual being, enters into a, a physical being, the serpent in the garden. And then this is what happens beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die? For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called out to the man saying to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. 
And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, I, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. It's, we see how all this breaks out. But do you ever wonder why? Why, if God is putting them in paradise, does he say you can eat from all the trees except for this one tree right in the middle? Why, why would God do that? Why would God create that capacity? Well, because God gives us choice. You see, without that tree, there's no choice. There's no decision to follow God. It's just automatic. There's nothing else you can do. But putting the tree there, God creates the choice that we can either voluntarily want to follow him in love or we can rebel against him, turn away, and do our own thing. And, of course, that's exactly what happened. And I think in order to pull this off, Satan kind of brings his A game uh, to get Adam and Eve to rebel against God. And in order for him to introduce sin into the world, to to corrupt God's creation, he kind of brings his A game, and and it's like an attitude that he brings into the garden. And and I, I think you could characterize it as an attitude of contempt. You know, you could just hear it. Uh, As the serpent said to the women, verse 45, you surely will not die. I'm thinking maybe, maybe Lucifer's saying this with a smile on his face. You know, you surely will not die. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What's he up to? What's his game plan here? He's not getting Eve to deny the existence of God. No, that's obvious from everything she can see around her. Now, what he gets her to do with this attitude of contempt is to deny the goodness of God. To get her thinking, maybe God doesn't have my best interests at heart. Maybe I know what's better than me for me more than what God knows. And so so that starts this whole downward spiral. Maybe, maybe God doesn't know what's best. It's interesting because this whole attitude of contempt that that this comes from is is what you see more and more in the world against Christianity. As a matter of fact, leading atheist uh, Richard Dawkins, who wrote a bestseller, The God Delusion, had kind of a rally among atheist people, and they, they met a few years back on the Washington, D.C. mall, and he, he publicly cried, Dawkins publicly stated that theists or Christians need to be ridiculed in the public square. They need to be ridiculed publicly. You know, and so there's this new kind of aggressive atheism where they're coming to publicly ridicule. You know, and of course we hear ridicule all the time. You know, people say, you believe God created the heavens and the earth in six days? You, you really believe that you should wait before marriage? I mean, we see that ridicule. And again, wrapped up in that is one thing is to, to kind of doubt God. And the other thing is to doubt God's goodness. And of course, you know, The decision to sin always includes thinking that you can't really trust God 
with your happiness, you need to take control every time. And, of course, we need to remember reflecting on Eve's temptation that as the story unfolds, actually God instructed Adam before Eve was there about the tree. And so presumably, Eve got all her information about the tree from Adam. Just a quick poll here. Wives, how many of you have ever noticed a man who had difficulty explaining the details of a conversation that they had with somebody? Any, anybody ever notice that? Oh, nobody noticed. Okay, we're good. We're golden. Just checking on that because sometimes that's not the way that is. Satan tries to get them to doubt God's goodness and then all of a sudden people rebel and, it's, and they're thinking, well, if I obey God, maybe I'm missing out on something. It's a whole fear of missing out, right? FOMA. I mean, that's, it's FOMO. Fear of missing out. Fear of missing something in my life. And, and so we have disobedience because of that. People push back and they'll doubt the goodness of God in a more broad way by saying, well, you believe in God? How can God be good and this tragic thing happen? How could, if God had the power, how can we call him good if he allows these evil, terrible things to happen in our world? And, and of course, the question that, that goes right back to Genesis is, okay, well, if God didn't allow that, what would he do? Well, I could think of two ways. He can make us incapable of making a choice to do wrong, but then we don't have freedom. And any of our love for God, it's not real. It's just pre-programmed. It doesn't mean anything. It's not true volitional love. Or he could just take the bad people, right? The people that are going to do unspeakable things, and God could just kind of eliminate them or snuff them out. The problem with that is, if he's destroying all the bad people, guess what? We're all in trouble. Where are we drawing the line on that? Because we've all rebelled against God. We've all done what God says not to do. You see, God let this play out. It was part of God's plan. And we see this as, as things continue. I mean, the other thing is, for the first time after the sin, it's they experience some sense of shame or guilt. They clothe themselves for the first time. And a lot of people take this as they're clothing themselves because they know sooner or later God's going to show up. But really, as you're looking at it, well, they clothe themselves before God comes. They hide when God comes. So maybe I think they're clothing themselves from each other. All of a sudden, sin has introduced different motives. And all of a sudden, their thinking is twisted. It's not wholesome and pure like it used to be. And things start, start going squirrely for them. And then when God, so they're hiding themselves from each other as far as covering parts of their body. And then when they hear God coming, they hide in the trees. And so God calls out to them. God, God doesn't, isn't asking these questions because he doesn't know. God's inviting them back into relationships. So he asks, you know, where are you? What's happened? And then that's when Adam throws Eve under the bus, right? I mean, he's like, Eve. You know, it's like, God's going, what happened? What's going on? And you could just see Adam. Oh, there's a problem, all right. There's a big problem. You know, you need to do something about 
her, you know. And, and you know how sometimes the wives can give the husband the look? That's where it first happened, right there. You know, Eve's hearing this, and she's like, what? you know, the look. That's where it came from, right there in the garden, right? The first couple had the look already. You know. But God's, you'd think when this happened, I mean, God comes, and every other time before this, kind of like when your kids are little and you get home and you pop through the door and you hear your kids screaming, Daddy's home! And they come and kind of mob you. That's probably how it was. That's probably how Adam felt when he heard God in the garden, Daddy's home! And all of a sudden, this day, it's not that way. Something's broken. Something's changed. He hides. There's fear, shame. Relationship has been marred because of sin. The sound of God no longer brings joy. He's filled with feelings he's never felt before. You'd think that after this happened and he was feeling all those things, that when he heard God, he would run to God and say, something happened, something terrible has happened. But he doesn't. He hides. It's always God who pursues God who reaches out. God who initiates relationship. And that's exactly what happens the very first time in the garden. Relationship with God is broken through sin, disobedience, and rebellion. And the next thing that happens is God pronounces the consequences of that sin, that life's not going to be as easy as it was. There'll be hard labor. There'll be pain. And then that brings us to the last question. How does God fix it? How, how does God love them and offer reconciliation? You see, what happens next is something that we, we read right over. God provides for them by covering them with animal skins. Actually, uh, it's right in... Genesis 3, 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. They're already wearing sewn together fig leaves, but God creates garments for them made out of animal skin. And we're not told exactly how God did that. We don't know. But if we trace this line that runs through human history, we can presume probably that for the first time as Adam and Eve are existing in paradise and everything's perfect, now sin enters the world and they stand there and they watch as an innocent animal is slain and they watch its blood seep into the ground. And God uses that sacrifice to cover their sin. I mean, the first sacrifice in that sense is God's. And, and as they see that, they, that demonstrates, God demonstrates for them that sin has serious consequences. And the only way you cannot pay is for innocent blood to be shed just for a temporary covering. And the first time they, they see all this, it plays out right in front of their eyes. And God clothes them 
and restores relationship with them in that way. And that begins the bloodline that runs through the entire Bible. Genesis, the Old Testament, Revelation, but ultimately a bloodline that leads us straight to Jesus Christ, who's not just an innocent. He's the perfect lamb, the God-man, who had to shed his blood so that our sins could be covered forever. And that's exactly what he does. But right here in the garden, we can see the foreshadowing of all that. Right there with Adam and Eve. Right there with the first rebellion that man made. Right there with the tree. And we'll watch the line flow on through the major parts of the Old Testament leading to Christ. Let's pray together. Actually, let's stand and pray together. So that's the introduction to bloodline. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the one, our creator God, who loves us and always initiates, always pursues, always draws us to yourself. God, we thank you for loving us like that, but also loving us with sacrifice, with cost. And God, we can see in the very foundation of the world, the way you planned it, that there would be rebellion, which was necessary for there to be freedom for us to actually choose the joy of loving you. But God, you made a way, you made a covering And you've been doing that all through history, ultimately, through your son Jesus. And all this is just pointing to the most important point of all history, the sacrifice of your son. God, help us to understand that and help us to have confidence and joy in the love that you love us with, that you pursue us, that you want relationship with us, and you've made a way for us at great cost to yourself. God, thanks for loving us like that. God, we pray that you'd help us to share this love with others here in our community and in our nation and in our world to share the joy of the message of your love and provision for us. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.